1: Play for free at luckylandslots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Okay, round 2. Name something that's not boring.
0: A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire. Huh?
1: Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino.
0: Good morning, Birdland. I am Mark Brown. I've been covering the Orioles for more than a decade on CamdenChat.com and hosting this podcast for 94 episodes and counting. It is now February the 2nd, 2024, Groundhog Day. Maybe I could live this day over and over again because the Orioles, for the second time this week, we've got a massive breaking news episode of the show. The Orioles went out and did it, they traded for the Ace that pretty much everybody in Birdland has been hoping they would trade for all offseason. The deal went from reportedly very close to done and announced all within the span of about 30 minutes on Thursday night. And this is the deal. The Orioles received 2021 NL Cy Young winner Corbin Burns from the Milwaukee Brewers, and the Brewers get the following from the Orioles. Shortstop prospect Joey Ortiz, lefty pitching prospect D.L. Hall, and the competitive balance round A pick in the 2024 draft set for number 34 overall. That is it. That's the deal. In tonight's episode, we'll be talking all about that. First and foremost, holy freaking mackerel. I honestly didn't believe that anything like this was going to happen. Really, I thought it was going to be another offseason of all of us getting our hopes up and then the Orioles not really doing much. Like, you know, just trading for a third tier, uh, trading a third tier prospect for a jabroni, calling it a day. This time without even having signed a veteran innings eater like Kyle Gibson. In recent days, I was trying to work myself up that maybe the Orioles signing would end up being Michael Lorenzen. And instead, Mike Elias went out and got a guy who's got very recent ace pedigree in Burns. And not that it's important in the context of the trade itself, but do you think that David Rubenstein's incoming ownership group being reported on Tuesday and announced on Wednesday has something to do, maybe, with the Orioles making this deal for Burns on Thursday? Maybe. It's not that I think the new guy came in, told Alliance to deal for an ace, and he did it. It's more that I think Rubenstein's arrival may have helped pave the way for the Orioles to add Burns' 2024 salary, which was already negotiated with the Brewers, for $15.6 million in his final season of arbitration, adding that onto the payroll. Because just like that, the Orioles have jumped from about $74 million on the payroll to about $90 million for the coming season, which is still not a lot in the context of MLB teams, but in the context of, you know what, I'm not even going to say his name anymore, J.A. or his initials. He's gone. I'm not going to worry about him anymore. You shouldn't either. Probably he wouldn't have approved that expense, I think anyway. But let's get on with Burns. He is a 29-year-old right-handed pitcher who, in addition to winning that 2021 NLSI, has struck out 200 or more batters in each of the past three seasons, during which time he has combined for a 2.94 ERA, 2.92 FIP, a 0.994 WHIP. We're talking a three-season stretch where fewer than one batter reached base per inning, or at least for walks and hits. It doesn't count hit by pitch, whatever. So Burns, he's been a workhorse in each of the past two seasons as well, throwing 202 innings in 2022, 193 and two thirds innings a year ago. That is a rapidly vanishing breed of pitcher. And now the Orioles have him lined up at the top of the rotation, assuming, of course, that he ends up as the opening day starter. If there's one thing to maybe cause you to think about applying the brakes just a little bit about Burns, it is this. Since winning that sigh in 2021, Burns has had his strikeout rate go down each season, going from 35.6% of batters struck out in 2021 down to 25.5% last year. Now, even with that note, that's better than uh, anyone on the Orioles was last year, so still, he'd probably would lead the Orioles' staff in terms of getting strikeouts. While this was happening, the ERA went up to 3.39 in 2023, and his walk rate also increased from 5.2% to 8.4%. Burns' fastball velocity is down from 97 miles an hour on the sinker in 2021 to about 95.5 miles an hour last year. So if these are trends that continue, into 2024, maybe it's not so much an ace acquisition as it is a middle-of-the-rotation workhorse acquisition, which, you know, that's still a huge acquisition for the 2024 Orioles if Burns has a worst-case scenario of something like a 3.80 ERA and 190 innings pitch. Now, again, let's be real. That is not the worst-case scenario, but that's maybe pretty good... um, modestly bad luck outcome uh, to have and having said all of that if you want to go ahead and slam right back on the accelerator try this on for size from july 1st through to the end of the regular season last year burns made 16 starts for the brewers he had a 2.72 era struck out 111 batters in 99 and a third innings which is an average of more than six innings per game started and over this stretch batters hit the following against Burns a 177 average 256 on base percentage 279 slugging percentage maybe there was some good batting average on balls in play luck there as he had a 228 BABIP in the time frame but on the other hand Burns had a 259 BABIP for the whole season in 2022 and a 244 BABIP over the whole season last year so maybe he's just a guy who can keep it low especially if the Orioles put a good defense behind him Uh, for the 75% of the time that the ball does end up in play. Uh, By the way, people who have looked at the spray charts on Twitter uh, seem to think that Burns, now pitching at Camden Yards, would have given up something like seven or eight fewer home runs last year. So that's pretty good, also. And, uh, yeah, you know, there's so much to get excited about. Essentially, the only reason not to react with a figurative Pants wedding stream of excitement is if you were absolutely, utterly unable to envision good things occurring for your favorite team, the Baltimore Orioles, probably based on a lifetime of not very good things overall happening to and with the Orioles. And believe me, I understand this impulse as well as anyone. It is my defense mechanism not to be hurt, to not be hurt, and just not expect great or good things even from the Orioles. But here we are. The Orioles just traded for an ace. I'm ready to be hurt again. I hope you are too. I will be right back after a message from a Fans First Sports Network sponsor, and then we can start to think about what the Orioles surrendered and what they didn't in order to make this deal. Hey, Drew Scott here, and
1: I'm Jonathan Scott, reminding you that life's better with a home policy from American Family Insurance. They can help you get just the right protection at just the right price and help you save when you bundle home and auto. Kind of like Goldilocks and the Three Bears. It'll be just right for you. We love a custom build. American Family Insurance. Insure carefully. Dream fearlessly. Get a quote and find an agent at AmFam.com.
0: Products not available in every state. Visit AmFam.com to learn how discounts may apply to you. American Family Mutual Insurance Company, S.I. and its operating company, 6000 American Parkway, Madison, Wisconsin. With lucky landslots,
1: you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom?
0: And actually, before we get down to business, can I tell you something? I still need to pinch myself. It is truly hard to believe that this is happening. It's happening, man. It's like the gift. You know, Burns is here. And, you know, the one thing that the Orioles are going to have to worry about that they have to think about right now is that Burns has worn number 39 for his whole career, the same number that Kyle Bradish wore last season. So maybe those guys can figure something out. Whatever. But yeah, the prospects or maybe if you're really down on them as long term contributors, you put them more in the suspects pile, because while Ortiz has checked in in the top 100 in two of the four major lists released so far, uh, D.L. Hall so far has been a top 100 guy on just one list. counting the four, by the way, in addition to the three lists we talked about in Monday's episode, which feels like it was a year ago now, there was another list coming out this week from ESPN's Kylie McDaniel, where Joey Ortiz was the number 91 prospect on the top 100. And Ortiz, you know, although we've really only been hearing about him as a prospect for like two years, he was actually drafted by the Orioles back in 2019, and this season will be his age 25 season. So it is rare to have a guy who still has much prospect stock at that age. Now, some of that is because Ortiz had some injuries he dealt with while working his way up through the minors. There was also the pandemic shortened season of 2020. So he does have those kind of odd things in, uh, in his corner in his favor, but you know, maybe he's just a guy who it's hard to give up on, even if he doesn't have the quote unquote it to really make it as a successful big leaguer in the long run. As I noted, um, on this podcast, when considering the idea of the Orioles trading somebody now, I guess we have to hope he's more like a use Neil Diaz kind of player. And now that is Milwaukee's thing to figure out. Ortiz, you know, he had some impressive things going for him in the minors in 2023. He had an 885 OPS over 88 games for the AAA Norfolk Tides. That's pretty darn good. Although there were guys who did a lot better, Colton Cowser and Jordan Westberg, most notably and Ortiz, you know, it didn't go so well for him in the majors. He only got into 15 games. It was sporadic playing time. Over that time, he hit just 212, the rare on base percentage below the uh, batting average of 206 because he drew no walks and had a sacrifice hit in there, a 242 slugging percentage. So, again, no walks in 34 plate appearances, just one double for extra base hits to his credit. That is a rough small sample. Not enough to give up on him entirely, but it's tough. And I mean, as we know, Ortiz was more or less blocked for playing time going forward. If we assume, of course, that Gunnar Henderson and Jackson Holiday are going to be the left side of the Orioles infield for like the next five seasons. And frankly, Ortiz was probably even blocked from a backup role this year and next, thanks to speedy Jorge Mateo being in the roster mix. And then there's Hall. If you feel like you've been hearing about his potential forever, it's because in baseball terms, you have. The Orioles drafted him in the first round in 2017. On the day they drafted Hall, they were 500 at 31 and 31. We all still had hopes the team could follow up on its 2016 wildcard berth. Things got worse the rest of that year, much worse in the coming years Hall, he's been in the organization through it all with the team. They stuck with him as a starting pitcher for as long as possible, even with all the command problems he had while ascending the minors. So Elias, who let's remember again, was not the guy who drafted Hall, has repeated through the offseason that the team viewed Hall as a starter long term. Now that this trade's been made, I got to wonder how much that kind of statement was just meant to keep polishing Hall's potential trade value. I don't know. Uh, What I do know is that Hall's big league action over the past two seasons, which taken together still were not enough to knock him out of prospect status, they really weren't bad at all, and particularly uh, last season, as Hall struck out 23 batters in 19 and a third innings. So Hall, like Ortiz, is 25 years old, which, again, that's on the old side for a prospect. Maybe it doesn't mean anything. Some guys, they're just late bloomers, whatever, but Okay, if we assume that Hall was going to be a reliever, then I guess the Orioles have thinned out the potential back-end mix here in uh, in Dealing Hall. So what we've got to do is hope that Craig Kimbrel signed to be the closer, spends this year adding a last chapter, or even next to last chapter, since remember, he's got a club option for 2025, onto his Hall of Fame case, because if... Uh, Billy Wagner, who almost got into the Hall of Fame this year, is a Hall of Famer, then I think Craig Kimbrough is about one year, maybe even already there for being a Hall of Famer. But anyway, we can also hope Yanier Cano can continue to be interesting in an eighth inning role. We can hope that Dylan Tate comes back looking like his 2022 form because he's been the early 2024 best shape of his life story that we've gotten the most about the team already through the first month of the year. And now that Burns is settling into the Orioles rotation, I feel like that seems to shunt Tyler Wells into relief, lining up a rotation of Burns, Kyle Bradish, Grayson Rodriguez, John Means, and Dean Kramer. I think, assuming there's no injuries, assuming the Orioles don't do any surprises uh, into that mix also. So all of the guys I just named for the back end mix anyway, uh, none of them are lefties. So, Is it better to maybe have a lefty in the back-end mix? Is Danny Colom enough of a back-end guy for this purpose? I I don't know. I guess we'll find out if it's going to hurt the Orioles in some way. But it seems like if this is the price that it took to get Corbin Burns and ace the 2021 Cy Young winner, that's worth the price of finding out, I think. The final piece of the trade worth mentioning a little bit, not worth freaking out about is the competitive balance round a draft pick. And just in general, remember MLB draft picks cannot be traded, but this small subset of picks awarded through a weird kind of complicated formula, generally to teams in smaller markets, these picks can be traded. We knew this in the Dan Duquette days because he was fond of trading them away while dumping minor amounts of salary on other teams. He did that, uh, both with Ryan Webb and Brian Mattis. He also traded one away when the Orioles acquired Bud Norris back in 2013. So when you're talking about uh, trades that were made, giving up a competitive balance pick, I'm a heck of a lot more excited about Corbin Burns than uh, Bud Norris. So giving up the number 34 pick, it does hurt a little bit, but that pain is lessened by remembering the Orioles are going to be picking at number 32 in the draft Thanks to Gunnar Henderson winning the AL Rookie of the Year award that qualified the Orioles for a bonus pick thanks to the new MLB prospect promotion incentive pick system. The Orioles they've had success picking in this range since Elias took over. Indeed, Henderson was uh, a first round of the first pick of the second round draft. So theoretically a Henderson-level player is going to be available when the Orioles choose at number 32. They just got to figure out who that is for the 2024 class zero in on him and, uh, and draft him and pay him. And so giving up a second bite at the apple in the late 30s here, it's not a zero cost. But again, it's not anything I'm going to lose sleep over. So take it all into consideration. And depending on which prospect list you look at, the Orioles may have just given up zero top 100 prospects to get one year of a recent Cy Young winner who's got a several-year track record of being a workhorse on top of a very recent track record of flashing eights results. As Camden Chat commenter Jacku Pazukas reminded me that I left out of my article on Camden Chat, Burns also is a strong possibility of ending up as a player who's going to receive a qualifying offer from the team after the season, which basically means that when he signs elsewhere, the team could receive a draft pick that would end up being right around in the number 34 range for 2025. Burns, he's a Scott Boris client, so he's almost certainly not signing with the Orioles long-term. Just We all need to get that out of our heads right now. This is not a trade where you can be like, okay, now maybe they're going to extend him. They're not. They're not going to extend him. This year will be all that the Orioles get. But then there will probably be the, uh, the compensation pick a year farther down the road. So overall, I'm plenty OK with that, uh, with this whole trade, really, because I was not at all enamored with the idea of the Orioles trading for another guy long rumored to be on the market, White Sox uh, pitcher Dylan Cease. I also felt nervous about possible trades that might lead to the Orioles having to give up any of Kobe Mayo. Colton Kowser or Heston Kerstad in order to get someone with like three years of team control remaining, possibly such as Miami's Jesus Lizardo or Seattle's Logan Gilbert or whoever the Orioles, what they ended up doing. They dealt out from their infield surplus. They possibly have cashed out at a high point in trading hall. And although they did give up the draft pick again, they're still going to have multiple first round picks this year, and they're going to have an opportunity to recoup the cost in a year's time just to think about kind of some alternate trade scenarios back in a December episode, like five episodes ago now or six, it's it's it feels like forever ago and it wasn't. I mentioned a trade scenario tossed out by the athletics Jim Bowden for Burns and Bowden suggested at that time it would take Kobe Mayo, DL Hall, Chase McDermott and Dylan Beavers to get Burns. And I thought this sounded insane at the time. I said so in the show. I still think it sounds insane. Uh, Probably this all tells us more about Bowden's ability to predict trade value than it does Elias' ability to wait out the market and get the best pitcher he can for the best price. But even so, it is again remarkable. The Orioles got Burns, and they gave up only one of those four named guys, and either they gave up one or zero top 100 prospects. So... New owners, a new ace, all in the span of about 48 hours. Is it opening day yet? I can't wait. That's all that I've got for today. If you've enjoyed this podcast, please subscribe on your favorite platform. I will be back with you every Monday for the rest of February as soon as possible if there happens to be any more massive breaking news in store for us, though I honestly cannot imagine what at this point. Do remember, you can email camdencastpod at gmail.com if you have a question or comment you would like to be discussed in a future episode. This segment is wide open to you if you want to take it. Good Morning Birdland is a Camden Cast production on the Fans First Sports Network. This is Mark Brown, signing off.